0: You're listening to an episode of the Formed and Sent podcast from the week of March 18th, 2019. On this week's episode, I'm going to continue a conversation I started in the last episode with Aaron Debink about the intersection of faith and science. Specifically, this time around, we're going to be talking about the origins of life and not just life on this planet, but even entertaining uh, the idea that there might be life on other planets as well. So it should be an interesting conversation for you all. If you have any questions at all about the Village Church, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We hope this is helpful. Enjoy. Welcome to the Form and Sent podcast, a podcast of the Village Church that gathers in downtown Hamilton, Ohio. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here of the Village, and with me today is
1: Aaron Nebic, a member of the Village Church.
0: <laughs> Good to have you back again, Thanks. Aaron. Aaron was on the the last episode, which actually just wrapped up about 15 minutes, <laughs> a ago. minutes ago. We're uh we are recording back to back, and so uh, it's the first time we've actually done that. We just got to talking too long. Um. We are going to pick up our uh, conversation that we started last week, um, kind of recapping some of the conversation we had last year during a Truth and Culture series on faith and science. Um, Aaron was the one who kind of facilitated uh, that series, and so um, he brought some of his material and we've just been talking through some of that stuff uh, together tonight. We're actually recording this uh in the evening. Um, so yeah, we're looking forward to kind of continuing the conversation. Uh, what did we talk about in the last episode? Aaron, just like recap stuff.
1: Yeah. So we, we kind of talked about, um, is there a fundamental conflict between faith and God and just science and looking at the world around us? Uh, and we concluded that, uh, you know, there's not necessarily a fundamental conflict between those two things. Um, there are certainly things that uh, science would say is true and people of faith would say is true and those are conflict conflicting statements but we mm-hmm. talked about areas where like maybe it's not as much of a as a conflict as we perceive. Yeah. That's um, great. So that was the first thing. And the second thing we talked about was just like how do we approach the Bible mm. when we talk about when the Bible with scientific questions like when we talk about scientific related things. Yeah. So we talked about just three different Ways to kind of approach the Bible in that way.
0: Yeah. So if you've not heard that episode, then uh, we'd encourage you to go back and listen to it because we'll we'll probably actually build off of that a little bit. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about origins of life and all that stuff, creation uh, and some of the perspectives on that. But uh, before we get to that, we have to do what we do every episode, which is do our Snapple fact. But we weren't planning on (laughs) necessarily (laughs) talking for two episodes worth of stuff. And so we've already opened the one Snapple that I brought tonight. Hmm. So uh, we're going to have to lean on Google to give us our Snapple fact for this evening. So we'll see if uh, she cooperates tonight. Give me a Snapple fact.
2: All right. Here's Snapple fact.
0: Here's Snapple fact.
2: Here's Snapple fact number 728. The planet Saturn's density is lower than water. In fact, it would float if placed in water. Try turning each fact into a trivia question.
0: Oh, no thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a fun party. Scientific,
1: Um, again. it's rather appropriate. Yeah.
0: Planet Saturn's density is lower than water.
1: That's interesting. Will it float? Will Saturn float? (laughs) The answer is... Will it float? Yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) So there you go. It would be a fun party trick if you could bring Saturn. That's right. Um, Cool. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we want to just kind of jump back into uh, continuing our conversation from 20 minutes ago <laughs> and talk about uh, the origins of creation, biological, physical life. Um, so maybe just a good place to start, Aaron, uh, and I'm sure there's a million of these, but if you could boil down maybe the the most uh, basic or well-known or uh, prominent ones, like what are the various views of of origins, the origins of of life, or the origins of creation, wherever you want to start with that, yeah. I'll let you kind of tee that up.
1: Yeah. So when you know Christians look at God's revelation through the Scripture and God's revelation through nature, so there's special revelation and general revelation, and they try to uh, interpret both faithfully, um, Christians typically land in different camps. So there's mm-hmm. not a consensus agreement among Christians who are trying to interpret. Scripture faithfully, and the universe faithfully. Right. So, um, at least nowadays, there seems to be four main camps. Um, one uh, is pretty well known as Young Earth Creationism, um, and so one of the more prominent um, organizations that, uh, that espouses this is uh, Answers in Genesis, and they're the organization behind the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, some mm-hmm. of you guys may have been to. They're actually pretty, pretty incredible. But the view of, like you would imagine, young earth creationism creationism believes that everything was created from nothing, and the universe and earth of, like maybe between four to six thousand years old. Okay. Right. Um, And where did they get that view? Uh, They get that view from a literal or plain reading of the Bible. Um, You know, we talked about the idea of like reading science out of the Bible. Right. So they would, you know, read Genesis chapter one and, and read out of that. All of God's creative acts, Okay. Uh, they would actually say are supernatural. So God spoke these things into existence um, and like supernaturally created the earth as it is and animals as they are and human beings as they are. So okay. all supernatural uh, divine intervention to kind of bring about these things in in seven days, or okay. six or seven days. So that's young earth creationism. That's young earth creationism. Um Yeah, and so just a quote from a pastor you guys might have heard of, John MacArthur. Um, I would say he's a young earth creationist. And just a sermon that I listened to, he said, uh, just talking about Genesis. So this idea of like reading science out of the Bible from a plain, literal interpretation. He says, The first chapter of of Genesis provides to tell us that in six 24-hour days, God created everything that exists. It is so simple and so clear and so unmistakable unmistakable, that even a small child can understand Genesis 1. And he goes on to say, later, you face a test at the very outset of the Bible. Do you believe the scripture? Hmm. And so that seems just like a, a pretty clear example of he says, well, it's plain. We read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Even a child can understand that God created everything from nothing in six days. Okay. Six 24-hour days. Okay. Right? So, so that boom. There it is. Boom. Yeah. There it is. Right? You got it starting with chapter one, do you believe the Bible? Or do you not believe the Bible? Okay. It's pretty straightforward. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, one camp. Um, another camp uh, is called Old Earth Creationism. Uh, and you can well imagine from its name, they believe that, <laughs> that the earth is not young. That is, in fact, old. It's good. To label. Uh,
0: Whoever came up with the names and labeling, it's just spot on. That's man. right.
1: <laughs> At least it helps us understand what's <laughs> going right. on, right? That's right. So they would also believe that everything that we see was created from nothing, right? Just like young Earth creationists. But they would more or less agree with the consensus of scientists today that the universe is about 14 billion years old and that the Earth is about 4.5 billion years old. So okay. they would kind of agree with like the age estimates for the universe and the Earth. Okay. Um, and old Earth creationists, um, uh, the most well-known organization is an organization called Reasons to Believe, Okay. Um, that was founded and head, headed by uh, Dr. Hugh Ross. He's got like an astrophysics background, um, but they would, uh, when they approach scripture, they would kind of be the group that would read um, science back into the text of the Bible. And in last episode, we talked about the verse in Isaiah where it talks about uh, God stretching out the heavens like a curtain and spreads, you know, spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Yeah. Uh, and they would say. Well, that's the Bible. Uh, That's biblical evidence saying that the Bible supports the idea of the Big Bang and an expanding universe. Okay. So that's, they kind of approach the Bible in that way. Okay. And when it comes to like the origin of biological life and human life, Mm -hmm. um, since they believe in an earth uh, 4.5 billion years old, um, they would say that the natural process of evolution, the mechanism of, of evolution and change over time can account for nearly all of the diversity of life on earth, but God intervened to specially create human life. Hmm. Okay. So God didn't, you know, spontaneously create animals, spontaneous you know, like uh they would say the process of evolution can more or less explain that, but God specially intervened to create human beings.
2: Hmm. Okay.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. Right. As the
1: pinnacle of his creation. Okay. Okay. So we're kind of kind of going on a spectrum here. All right. Um, the next step, uh, or the next camp, I would say, of, of people trying to faithfully interpret Scripture mm-hmm. and the world around us, uh, we'd call evolutionary creationism. They would agree, uh, again, like older creationists, that the, the universe is about 14 billion years old, the earth is 4.5 billion years old. Um, when they approach Scripture, this is more along the lines that we talked about in terms of like, scripture has to first be interpreted through like the culture that it was written to the okay. idea that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. Mm-hmm. so um, they would say that, you know, it was, it's written to an ancient Near East culture thousands of years ago and that God's inspiration through the scriptures is more concerned with theological messaging than scientific messaging. And we okay. talked a little bit about that last, that right. last episode. <clears throat> right. Um, so that's, uh, so they would basically say that we we can't necessarily come to the Bible with our scientific questions. Mm-hmm. The Bible doesn't have much to say about, they would say, the the age of the earth or the universe. Okay. Um, and whether God supernaturally created animals or human beings. Because like we talked about last episode, that God is the, the explanation for all things, whether they're miraculous interventions yeah. or, you know explained by natural laws, because God is the one that not only uh, decided what those natural laws are, but he's the one that keeps them ongoing in the regularities and patterns that we can investigate. Makes sense. Yeah. So then when it comes to biological and human origins, um, their perspective would be that God used the natural laws or the, the mechanism of evolution, of evolutionary change to bring about all plant, animal, and human life. Okay. So, they so, no special creation. W- they would say creation. Yeah, okay. no special creation necessarily okay. of human beings. <clears throat> okay. Yes. Which is interesting because um, then that brings in the idea of um, a pre human population before Adam and Eve. And okay. so, you know, like, you know, all groups of people, not everybody believes the same thing. So, even within these categories that we're talking about, yeah. there's distinctions within them. So, sure. you know, some evolutionary creationists would say, um, that Adam and Eve were historical a historical pair; they existed mm-hmm. in time, um, but that there was a prehuman population before them, you know, and they were maybe chosen to, I guess, in a priestly role to, you know, interact with God in a priestly way for this yeah. prehuman population. Okay. Um, other evolutionary creationists would say uh, there was no historic Adam and Eve, hmm. um, and. And I, I, I don't know exactly how they deal with all of that theologically. And that's yeah. certainly, there's lots of questions there. Yeah, we'll chat we'll about start some of uh, the... Talking about those things. Implications, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess just uh, an example, just a quote from somebody who kind of is in the evolutionary creationism camp. Uh, his name is Dennis Venema, and he's actually a Christian biology professor at Trinity Western University. Uh, and he co-authored a book called Adam and the Genome, Reading Scripture After Genetic Science. Uh, And his area of expertise is really, like, genetics. And, like, Mm -hmm. what does the evidence of genetics have to say about um, evolutionary history of human beings? Yeah. Um, And, well, I'll let the quote speak for itself. Okay. Um, But it says, We can be confident that finding evidence that we were created independently of other animals or that we descended from only two people just isn't going to happen. Some ideas in science are so well supported that it, that it is highly unlikely new evidence will substantially modify them, and these are among them. The sun is at the center of our solar system, humans evolved, and we evolved as a population. Mm. So from his Christian scientific perspective, yeah. he's saying from his just looking at the, the evidence of genetics, he would say that the genetic evidence mm. suggests That we evolved, uh, that we descended from animals, and that we uh, evolved as a population, not from a single pair, male and female. Okay, all right. Which is lots of crazy, interesting, interesting. Yeah, there's lots uh, of questions. Questions that 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 are (laughs) yeah, come to mind. But that's 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 the perspective. Yeah, yeah. And then I would say the fourth uh, perspective on origins, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say is a Christian perspective. Exclusively, but there are lots of Christians within this perspective. Okay. it's one of intelligent design okay um, And there's a couple of different groups that would uh, espouse intelligent design, but one of the one of the more well-known ones, more well-known ones is called the Discovery Institute okay. um, And they're not trying to make a claim about uh, a Christian God or you know what particular scripture is consistent with science. They look at, and they're not really concerned with the age of the earth. Um, okay. they look at the universe and they see evidence of design okay whether that's in like the DNA in in all life like within a cell mm-hmm. or look at the improbabilities of being in a universe or a galaxy or a solar system that allows uh, for the existence of complex life okay so this idea of like that the universe seems fine-tuned for our existence sure like they look at those things and say that is evidence of an intelligence that has been involved in, in our existence hmm. and they don't claim to know anything about the the nature of that intelligence but like hey DNA is essentially written code and information. Okay. What do we know produces written code and information? Yeah, People. Like something an intelligence intelligent. Yeah, a mind right. does. And yeah. so they're saying, man, there's there's clues in our universe that suggest a mind is behind it. Okay. And that's that's where they stop. Okay. And so, what's interesting, you know, like you could say, well, okay, there's evidence of intelligence, but like, is that intelligence the Judeo-Christian God? Yeah. Is that Allah, the Islamic conception of God? Mm-hmm. Is that extraterrestrial nature? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Did, and, and there are there are um, scientists look trying to look at you know explain naturally the origin of life. Mm-hmm. You know, how could inorganic, non-alive chemicals somehow turn into the first cell, like the, the smallest constituent building yeah. block of a, of a living thing. And uh, Origin of Life scientists, they haven't figured it out. They can't even figure out a natural, naturalistic explanation. And so uh, what that's led some of them to believe is this idea. It's called panspermia. That, like, biological life was seeded from space to the Earth. So life got here somehow. Another well-labeled thing. From somewhere (coughs) else. Panspermia. (laughs) Panspermia. uh, Got here from somewhere else. And so now we've got cellular life, and, and evolution can explain everything else naturally, the diversity of life and human beings, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And so... Um, I guess intelligent design wouldn't rule that out because they're just talking about, hey, life shows marks of intelligence. It
0: doesn't have to be a deity, just some intelligence, Some mind. Yeah, and so there are some people that would leap to, you know, they wouldn't go to a creator of some kind, but they Mm -hmm. would leap to extraterrestrial
2: life.
1: I suppose you you could with, uh, like, um, maybe um, biological life. Yeah. But if you're talking about, like, the fine-tuning of the laws of nature... And you know, that would that be would like you a more or less have to leap to the idea of a, a supernatural yeah. supernatural yeah. mind. Yeah, correct.
0: So, was there overlap, or could there be overlap between the evolutionary creationist and the intelligent de- intelligent design?
1: That's a camp? really that good question. Like... I would say, um, in the intelligent design camp, you would find young earth creationists, you would find old earth creationists, hmm. and I don't know if you would find evolutionary creationists. Um, I think some evolutionary creationists would say. You know, God used the natural mechanism of evolution, change over time, to bring about the diversity of life that we see on this earth. Yeah. And I think some of them would go so far as to say that we couldn't discern God's inter- miraculous intervention in that. Okay. All of it can be explained through, um, I guess, our scientific understanding of, you know, random mutation chance, um, natural selection and, and that leading to, like, change over time. Okay. So intelligent design theorists, like, they they would say that the mechanism of evolution, genetic change with chance right. in natural selection, that cannot produce information. And so they okay. would say information in a, in a DNA sequence, that cannot be explained by the mechanism of evolution. And so... okay they have a problem with the evolutionary process.
0: Okay, so the the process of the evolutionary creationist would be could just happen through natural processes still set up by God and carried on and, and carried supported on and God. sustained by mm-hmm. the Lord. And then the intelligent design community would say that can't happen through mm-hmm. like natural processes sustained created by the Lord, but it would it would require some supernatural Intervention. intervention in order for that intelligence, Correct. data, information to be uh, become life, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you got it. Okay.
1: So those, I would say, those are the main camps. Uh, but I would say Christian camps. So a view of interpreting scripture and interpreting the universe around us. Yeah. Kind of the three: young Earth creationism, old Earth creationism, and evolutionary creationism.
0: Okay. So those would be within the realm of the Christian worldview, yeah. by and large. okay.
1: Yeah. But but in each of those, maybe with exception, like we said, of evolutionary creationism, yeah. there's a lot of this idea of intelligent design as well. Yeah.
0: So largely intelligent design being just kind of, okay, we're observing in what we have discovered thus far, that just these, all of these things that seem to point to the fact that there is some greater intelligence at work here. Yeah. And so that's why you get the the mix of the other kind of camps mm-hmm. involved in it. Okay. Correct. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Cool. So yeah, we kind of hinted at this as we were talking, especially about the evolutionary creationists, but in terms of like, you know, what are the what are the stakes in believing one over the other? And we've already declared like, hey, these are these are some of the camps that are like within the realm of the Christian worldview. People who would say that they hold to, mm. you know, even uh, Sola Scriptura like yes. yes. They want to be faithful with the with the text, with the scriptures, and so they land in those different positions. Uh, because, as we talked about in the last episode, you can look at the same evidence, and people can come to different conclusions, mm-hmm. right? And we all wear different lenses, and depending on what you're seeing the text through, and all that stuff, you might arrive at you know even different conclusions that way. And so, affirming that all those positions would be within the realm of like biblical Christianity. Is that fair. Yeah. To say I would think so. Maybe not all the people in those camps would agree sure. <laughs> that people in the other camps line up that way. But yeah. But we can step back and say, okay, they're trying to be faithful to what they know and mm-hmm. what seems to be true based in the scriptures and you know the world around them. So that being so, what are like what's at stake, maybe, or what are the implications for believing maybe one over the other, or you know, maybe the easiest place would be to start with the evolutionary creationists and
1: yeah, yeah, that's a Difficult question, I think, to yeah. answer. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, if we're talking about evolutionary creationism, like, you might think, well, man, what room does that leave for God Yeah. in the process? If we can explain, the, we can't explain the origin of life. We can't explain you know, a lot of things. But let's say, if we could someday explain scientifically, based on the the mechanism of evolution, the origin of life, the chain, the diversity of life that that we find on our Earth, mm-hmm. as well as human beings, out of animals, yeah, I mean, like where where is room for God in all of that? Yeah, and I guess going back to our previous conversation, we talked about like a, a picture of God that is bigger than just God miraculously intervening in ways where the natural laws can't explain things, right? And so, um, an evolutionary creationist would say. Uh, we believe God was intimately involved through the use of his natural laws and regularities in the way that he always consistently upholds the universe. And he just used something that we can actually understand to bring about his purposes, to bring about humanity, which is like the, the culmination of, of his creative act, whether that happened like in six days spontaneously yeah. or that happened over billions of years over a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, all yeah. people in those camps would say, however God did it, God did it. And we are the end of his purposes, and his purposes is to be in relationship with us. Yeah. With humanity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, when it comes to, like, conversations about Adam and Eve, yeah. you know, and the thoughts around, was there a a population, you know, of human beings that Adam and Eve came from versus... Mm-hmm. You go to John MacArthur and he's like, clearly, plainly, you read yeah. this text and even a kid can understand that, boom, they were the first ones. This is how that played out. Yeah. Are there theological implications to those things? Like, does that put stuff on the line? Like, if you believe one over the other huh. or, yeah, and maybe these are questions you don't, no, we don't, and to be fair, we yeah. don't know the answer <laughs> to <laughs> these questions. Yes, but, yes, like, so. we're just conversing about those things. Yeah. Like, what does that well, do
1: I mean, for, yeah, I mean, I think it throws up all sorts of theological questions. Yeah. You know, we think about original sin and the, the fall account and yeah. the implication of the fall. And Paul talks about, you know, through man, one man's sin. Death came into the world. Death and, came into yeah. the world and, you know, through one, you know, and through the one right, man just, Jesus. It, yeah. That. So like yep. th- there's that language in reference to Adam. And the fall account, like, yeah. is is everywhere in the Bible, including the New Testament. And so, most people actually that I read about this would say, because that's the case, we kind of have to accept a historic Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. It Doesn't matter what science is saying. Like, yeah. they're Adam and Eve as a pair existed. Some would say, well, well, they were the first, you know, and then all of humanity came from that. Others would say, well, they they existed because of the. I guess the theological importance of like how redemption is explained, mm-hmm. but they could have been a pair taken out of a larger population. Yeah. But they were still historic. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's tons of questions about that, and yeah. I certainly don't have the answers. Yeah, I mean, there um, does. But yeah, you got to ask the questions. And, sure. Yeah, and and there's there's a lot of people asking those questions and trying to answer those questions today.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like there would have to be a pre-fall and a fall, right? Mm-hmm. Like it seems like theologically necessary to to have that, which then necessitates God declaring to someone mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is the way that things are and almost necessitates there being some, gosh, I don't know. Yeah. Again, just kind of thinking out loud and all this mm-hmm. stuff, like if there's, if creation occurred through the natural processes of evolution, like then it, what, what did that look like in a world without sin, like where yeah. things are purposed and things are, you know, orderly and everything functioned the way that it was supposed to and all of that. And then all of a sudden that order was broken. Yeah. You know, like just what does yeah. that, I don't know, just what, yeah. What are the implications of all of that? Yeah. There ha, there has to be, I mean, uh, and even the, the pattern of, of what we see throughout the old Testament and the new Testament and the new, and the new covenant is that, there are, like, representatives of mm. God's people that God says, hey, you know, Noah, hey, Abraham, uh, hey, Jacob, hey, you know, yep. throughout where there's just there are these people who God makes a covenant with them and it's it's through those people that, uh, those specific people, that he, like, institutes his mm. relationship or declares what his relationship is going to be like with all of his people and makes promises. And, and so, yeah, like, Adam and Eve being historical people, that would seem to be a a pattern that God carries throughout the rest of the scripture. So it would seem to fit that there would be a historical Adam and Eve that God interacted with and said, this is the way that things are. This is your job. This is my relationship with you. Here's the one thing not to do. (laughs) Go do this. And then we, you know, mess it up or whatever. But yeah, I, I feel like there has to be some some historical person that God declared that to yeah. and that he established his relationship with and how that person came about or were, that, were those people, I, I don't know, you yeah. know. Um, but, yeah, it seems to necessitate that there, there is some kind of historical Adam and Eve, right, at the very least. Yeah, you know? I,
1: I would say that just looking at and listening to a lot of these people in these different camps, that seems to be the consensus. There's, yeah. there's not a lot of people... At least this point that are saying kinda of like the Dennis Venema that I quoted, yeah, yeah. Saying that we did not evolve from a single pair, we evolved from a population. Yeah. So I'd say like there's there's a few voices in that camp and trying to think about the theological implications of that, but I would I would say the consensus and majority currently is that yes, Adam and Eve were historic figures. Yeah.
0: The other thing is or maybe not the other thing, but another thing mm-hmm. is you know, just Imago Dei, the fact that we were made you know, with the image of God, in particular, in a way that the rest of creation was not. And we were given, kind of like we talked about in the last episode, like mm-hmm. this particular charge to have dominion and kind of rule, co-rule with God in his stead in some way, like the world, right, as as he does over us. And so that whole idea, again, if you introduce not just intelligent design, mm-hmm. like where there is like kind of miraculous, you know, supernatural intervention there, but like if you if you could take that intervention out and just say that God's image could be evolved into mm. over time. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Again, I, I don't know how God did what he did. <laughs> but yeah. that just seems like, uh, huh, that's an interesting leap to go from, to, to evolve from something that's not God's image into something that is through sure. right. natural processes, like we said, that God is still intimately involved yep. in. But I don't know. It's just
1: a... I, mean, I mean, God is in the habit of, of making us more than what we've come from. Mm-hmm. So, like, he called Abraham out of his culture yeah. and made him into a people, right? And so, like, yeah. you know, whether we were—God used du- the dust of the earth to form humanity or somehow, who knows, Yeah, <laughs> was able to bring about humanity from biological life somehow— Either way, fair we've enough. been made more <laughs> than, like, physically what we've been made from. Yeah, fair um, enough. That's and a great given, point. And given um, responsibility to be his imagers, like, to all of the rest of creation yeah. at some point.
0: Yeah, be it dust or monkeys. That's right, be it dust
1: <laughs> or primates. Right?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, yeah, so would you say it's fair, I mean, in terms of um, holding to orthodox Christian theology, you know, is there anything in any of the camps that would say, like, ah, like, you, you can't ascribe to orthodoxy and be in this camp? I mean, again, yeah. I know that some people in different camps would say, you know, this is the way it is. Why yeah. would you believe any, you're calling into question the authority of the scriptures if yeah. you depart? But I, I, think, I mean, uh, does there have to be, you know, that...
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think when push comes to shove and people in these camps are asked the question, do you have to adhere to your view of origins to yeah. be considered a Christian When push comes to shove, everybody that I've read or who's actually approached that topic says, no, you don't have to adhere to this to be a Christian. Yeah. But then sometimes the implication is, well, then you don't really trust the scriptures like you should. Okay. And so, like, it kind of comes to the biblical interpretation question again. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I know just in the village we talk about, like, closed-handed issues and open-handed issues. Like, what... What's of like primary importance that is central that we all need to agree on? Yeah, <laughs> you know, in terms of what the scripture plainly teaches and what are things that faithful Christians come to the text to look at and come to different conclusions about. And I think the origin conversation is an open-handed issue. I don't think it's of primary importance. Yeah. Um, like it made me think about um, uh, Paul talking in First Corinthians. Uh, chapter 15 is verses one through four. He said, Now I, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. And he says, Unless you bleed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised in the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so Paul's saying, like the, you know what's of first importance is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And everybody in these camps would agree on that, mm-hmm. right? These are uh, smaller issues of importance when it comes to the gospel, like the good news of what's actually saving us. Yeah, And so, I I, I mean, I think that just helps to put this conversation in perspective Yeah, and hopefully approach—and I, I don't— I don't say that to suggest that these aren't important conversations. Oh, for sure, like yeah. Serious theological implications, mm-hmm. but at the end, I feel like it should help remind us that we need to approach this conversation humbly. Yeah, and that's in all ways with uh, one another.
0: And that's like one of the questions I want to ask. And I think, you know, going to the gospel is a great place to start. Is how do we, how do we have this conversation? You know, like we talked about last time, mm-hmm. there are some there are some tensions that are unnecessary. Yeah. You know, and I think I, I personally think an unnecessary tension that we create in the church when we when we hinge, oh well if you believe this, then mm-hmm. you clearly aren't submitting yourself to the authority of Scripture. When you like just automatically make that leap, then I think there's some unnecessary tension being created there between, you know, those camps. But there are there's certainly necessary tension just to be expected, like we said, when you look at people look at evidence and they come to different conclusions about things even though they want to be faithful to, you know, the scientific evidence and most importantly, faithful to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we, in the midst of that healthy, expected diversity mm-hmm. of opinions on this stuff, show solidarity, you know, mm-hmm. in the important things? Or how do we maintain unity in the church when when we do have diversity around this kind of thing? And, and when the culture does seem to be like there's a, a, a distance or a gap between what Christians believe Mm -hmm. and what seems to be true to the rest of the world. And then they look at the church and then there's fractions, factions within the church of, you know, how do, how do we maintain unity um, and solidarity as, as the church in the midst of diversity? Yeah.
1: So I think, like I said, approaching this humbly to start out with, um, and I guess maybe like looking at like what are areas of agreement? I think that all, all these camps that we talked about would agree on. And I think, you know, number one that everybody that we should agree that God is the author and creator of all that's visible and invisible. Yeah. Right? Everything that, you know, in the physical universe and, you know, spiritual beings, like he's created all of it. Mm-hmm. That you know, and he's behind it also, like talking about life. God has brought about all life either through miraculous intervention or natural laws or or and natural laws. Yeah. You know, God can and does use both miraculous intervention and natural laws for his purposes Hmm. and so life has been brought about regardless of mechanism because he purposed it to be so yeah and we talked a little bit about the idea that you know like regardless of what we feel like we've been made from you know Mm -hmm. god has made us more than what we've been made from like we said Mm -hmm. from dust or primates like god has made us more for that um, and that he's, we also talked about, he's uniquely chosen human beings to be his imagers to creation. Yeah. And so, I mean, I feel like those four things, like there's not, you know, we might not agree on, or Christians might not agree on how God created life or was involved in instrumental in life coming about. Yeah. But we can all agree that he's the one behind it.
0: Sure. That is incredibly important and mm-hmm. should be the thing that, like, humbles us. <laughs> I right. think if we acknowledge that, mm-hmm. like, yeah, God made this thing we didn't, yeah. right? And, and if we believe that the creator of the universe, like, created the universe, including us, then we're, our faculties are probably not going to be able to comprehend or know or discover all the things that mm-hmm. led to that. And yeah. so that should create some humility. And I think, too, as, as believers, like, we get to, you know, we ought to love truth. Uh, and seek after that, and we ought to love people, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, the great commandment is to love the Lord and to love other people. And so in the pursuit of truth, A, like, there's no one in any of the camps, including the two of us at, at this table, that mm-hmm. have a claim to all the truth, yeah. <laughs> right? That own it all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, gosh, if we if we believe that discipleship is a lifelong process and that the Great Commission is, you know, we get to... Not just make disciples, but spend the rest of our life like teaching others and being taught uh, Mm -hmm. to observe all that Jesus can. Like that's just the renewal of our mind is an ongoing process and sanctification is progressive uh, and will not be finished until, you know, (laughs) we die Mm -hmm. and are raised in glory, you know, at some point meet Jesus. And Yeah. yeah, and so we get to, you know, in the pursuit of truth, realize that we should be continuing to learn more and more and more. And if we know the source of truth, you know, which is ultimately God, um, that we don't have to be afraid of the truth. Yeah. And I think we get to uh, acknowledge that as this is an open-handed issue, you know, like you talked about, which was really great, like that we get to, we get to learn about this thing too, and let this be something that we, you know, we submit ourselves to the truth. We submit ourselves to the Lord and that. And so we don't have to be afraid of, you know, uh, of other people um, mm-hmm. or of other ideas or other thoughts, just like, you know, we, we reference the, the historical, Aspects of the church and dynamics of what happened 500 years ago when, you know, people were called heretics and mm-hmm. <laughs> killed for believing something because there was evidence, you know, yeah. presented for that that just happened to, to go against the dogma of the church. Like, we shouldn't be afraid of hmm. evidence. We shouldn't be afraid of new ideas, you know, certainly if we have the truth, but but more importantly, if we know the the author of truth. Like, mm-hmm. that shouldn't scare us. Yeah. And then, too, just honestly, like, to... To listen to other people and to listen to their ideas, no matter how crazy you think they are or how off the wall you think they are, hmm. listening to people is one of the greatest ways that we get to love them. I mean, certainly we get to, you know, share with them what we believe to be true. And again, going to the close-handed thing, which is the gospel, like yep. that the most important thing, the thing of first importance, we get to go to that. But gosh, listening to other people, that's a great way of, of loving others and respecting the image of God that we want to so desperately cling to and hold on to, right, as a theological truth, even in this whole conversation about origins, right? We get to yeah. respect other people as image bearers of the Lord. And so we get to, to hear them out and dialogue respectfully, you know, yeah. with them in pursuit of what's true. So uh, for me, that's like, I think one of the things is that we don't have to be afraid of the truth, evidence, ideas, yeah, because we know the author of, of truth. And we get to love people by listening to their ideas, you know? So here's a a question that we weren't sure if we were going to maybe get to this yeah. or not if you're cool to talk about this sure. now. Okay. So talking about origin of life and and we've already mentioned the uh the the possibility, you know, in the intelligent design conversation mm-hmm. about gosh, did you know th- there seems to be evidence that, that that life didn't just happen by chance but that there had to be something from the outside to populate it, one of those things being extraterrestrial life. Yeah, you know you know, maybe in a lab designing us and planting <laughs> DNA or sure. whatever, you know, on Earth. So we'll we'll kinda of set aside, you know, little grey people, uh, mm. in a lab, you know, depositing stuff on on Earth. But just the whole idea of like even just bacteria, mm. you know, being discovered on another planet or what just yeah, any kind of biological life in its most simplest form. Like what what implications or, or what thoughts or questions or just what comes up when you start to think about that, right? Or origins of life or life existing on mm-hmm. on other planets outside of this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, all sorts of questions come up <laughs> <laughs> surrounding that idea. Yeah. But, you know, like that's that's a question that a lot of people care about. Yeah. And like, you know, there, there are plenty of scientific efforts to look for not just intelligent life but like – Habitats or planets that would allow intelligent life to exist, right? Yeah. Out of a sense right. of, are we alone in the universe? Yeah. Right. And, you know, number one, is there any other life, cellular life, you know, single cellular life, multicellular life, or, you know, advanced civilizations that could communicate with us? You know, you've probably heard of the SETI project, yeah the search for extraterrestrial
0: intelligence. Or that contact, the movie yeah, Contact. Yeah, you haven't seen the movie Judy. Contact. Yeah. It's yeah. good. That's good. It's a good flick.
1: Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's been an ongoing um, investigation to listen, to look for radio signals that aren't explained naturally. Because, you know, we get radio signals from space from lots of different astronomical events. Sure. But the question is, I know, I guess it's kind of along the lines of intelligent design. Hmm. Is the signal that's coming in, is there evidence that it is not naturally caused? Therefore, it must be intelligently caused. Therefore... There must be intelligent civilizations sending messages. Civilization. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so and you know NASA has satellites. You know the the number of planets that have been discovered orbiting other stars. You know in other you know in our galaxy, like, is always going up. There's thousands. I don't I don't know what the current number is right now, but yeah. you know they're looking for habitable planets and signatures maybe in the atmosphere to, to tell you know is there any. Evidence that there is any right. other, you know, even like single cellular life. Yeah. You know, to date, that, that's certainly not been something that's been found or announced or anything like that. And yeah. they may never, right? Yeah. For sure. all we know, we are alone in the universe and we are as special as I think what the Bible suggests we are. Yeah. Right. The pinnacle of God's creation. Right. You know, and uh, John Lennox, <clears throat> uh, a mathematics professor, uh, says, you know, how do I know that humans are special? Is because God became one. Right, You know, like God in the incarnation incarnation became a human being. And so, um, yeah, the Bible doesn't talk about life elsewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't say that there isn't life elsewhere, but it certainly doesn't give us an implication. Um, It does talk about beings that are outside of, like, human beings, like spiritual beings, right, angels and demons, right? right? But it doesn't talk about other physical life that that we know of. Yeah. It kind of leaves us guessing.
0: Yeah, certainly. In your, whether it's your own kind of thinking or whether it's stuff that you just come across like are there theological implications to life existing somewhere else or
1: yeah so um i think um don't remember exactly how long ago this was but at one point in church history uh within the last few hundred years it was popular to believe that the universe was actually teeming with life Hmm. And it wasn't, you know, this was not something that came out of, like, interpreting scripture. Mm-hmm. It was more kind of a philosophical, theological idea that whatever God could do to, like, add to his glory and display of his power, he would do. Hmm. And so it it wouldn't be okay to say during that time that God there was no other life because then you're kind of limiting God's power and the display of his glory. Yeah. And so, based on that little kind of line of reasoning, the idea was, well, the universe is teeming with life. Okay. And so at, what, at one point in church history, yeah, <clears throat> people believed there's life all over the place, huh. right? And, you know, that was before we understood the vastness of the universe. You know, hundreds of years ago, we had yeah. no idea how large the universe actually is.
0: Yeah. Anything else you want to say on the, yeah, yeah? I mean,
1: I think one um, potential reason why, you know, people are looking for or want there to be Uh, evidence of life outside the earth is i think to validate a naturalistic explanation for our existence okay right and so it kind of goes along the lines of um kind of if either like cellular life or even more advanced life evolved elsewhere Mm -hmm. well then we're not as miraculous Mm -hmm. and as special as we think we are and so therefore hey it can happen there it happens here it's you know if there's Billions of stars in our galaxy. Yeah. Milky Way galaxy. And there's billions of galaxies in the universe, each with billions of stars. Yeah. Which might have multiple planets around it. You know, the the I guess the current popular idea is, well, there has to be there has to be other life just mm-hmm. based on the sheer numbers of possibilities. Yeah. But um I think some people would see that as a a score for naturalistic evolution. Okay. And Christians would then say, well, like they don't want to acknowledge that that's a possibility because then that would be um, maybe suggesting that God didn't create yeah. us specially. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I think that it makes me think of something that just like, I think is a good thing for all of us to reflect on. You know, so say say there was intelligent life discovered you know, somewhere else. You know, Seti picks up a mm-hmm. an, an old television show from you know some other planet right uh the alien version of benny hill or who knows what (laughs) a question that we have to ask ourselves is does that then like does that then throw into question our faith Uh. like period right does that rattle us to the point of shoot like can i believe anything now because Uh. there is extraterrestrial life somewhere so does that mean that we're not as special and so does that throw into question all the theology you know all the orthodoxy, everything we ever believed about mm-hmm. the scripture. Does that cause a crisis of faith when, when scientific discovery maybe proves what we assume to be true wrong?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, just I, I guess maybe just a a reflective question, like for for us individually, like what what are those? You know, speaking to you guys who are listening to, like, are there things that we adhere to that if science were to discover this or, or prove this or show this, like would that cause us to then just have this crisis of faith? And if so, what does that mean about the importance that we place on that particular thing? Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like has, is there something like that, that maybe has become a closed handed issue So our, for us?
1: So maybe like a closed handed issue in some people's minds might be the fact that we are alone in the universe, right. that the earth is the only inhabited planet with complex life, with human beings. Uh, And if we discover life elsewhere, that throws a wrench in everything. Right. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I guess just thinking about it, whether we were specially created by God's supernatural intervention or through a natural process that God was also behind, why couldn't God have done that elsewhere? Sure. To create other physical life. Sure. Does it have to throw a wrench in things?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's... I don't think it has to, Sure. but I, I think it certainly. And I don't mean yeah. to throw that out there to minimize the fact that it would cause us to ask a lot yeah. of questions, right? No, no, it would make sure. us like, oh, yeah, it would make me think of a lot of different things. But yeah,
1: yeah, I think um, a genuine extraterrestrial, like biological life outside of the Earth, doesn't necessarily have to. I think the area where like. We seriously have to consider is like, um, you know, there are people who believe that, like, you know, not just that extraterrestrial life is out there and maybe we'll find it, maybe we won't find it, you know, yeah. who knows? It's not a theoretical thing. Like, uh, there's people that claim that humanity throughout, mm-hmm. a, you know, thousands of years has been visited by extraterrestrials. Yeah. And there's mo- more than you would imagine people who would think that religion as we know it was essentially man's attempt at explaining the interaction with these alien beings we had no other way to explain it except to explain them as gods yeah right and you know if, if anybody's ever watched uh the history channel was ancient aliens oh yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you know there's this i remember sitting down in a hotel room with my twin brother and dad once we were on a trip in california and just had the tv on and it was an ancient aliens episode and they it's the basic hypothesis you know aliens have been visiting humanity for thousands of years and uh christian you know the events in the bible can be explained by interactions with alien beings Hmm. so the israelites were led out of egypt cloud by day fire by night what does that sound like to somebody who believes that we've been visited by aliens that's a ufo Israelites were fed by manna from heaven. Nah, that was alien technology, right? Feeding them for, you know, all those years, sustaining on, you know, like whatever it is that they created. Yeah. Jesus um, was an alien, and he, you know, it wasn't the virgin birth. It was like alien, like insemination, essentially. Okay. He was, you know, not, um, he didn't die and was resurrected. He was, like, being backed up for the mothership. I mean, like, these seem kind of silly, yeah. saying it, but there are certainly groups of people that believe that, right? And so, if NASA makes an announcement and says we found microbial life on Mars, mm-hmm. well, man, if so, then then what people who are already predisposed to like believe this like, this ancient alien hypothesis, right, is that well, man, it's on Mars, and there's it's got to be intelligent life elsewhere, right? We've been visited. Mm-hmm foundations of faith are shaken for a traditional view basically what we believe that the Bible is communicating about who God is, right? We yeah. believe that God is the author of all that there is, the entire universe, the laws of nature, not just these like intelligent aliens who are visiting the earth. Yeah. And, you know, and there's, there's, this, there's this, even this idea that within uh, naturalists, people who don't believe that God is an explanation for anything... That, um, man, if we evolved and we're just, like, in our infancy in our, like, technological advancement. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, sending out radio signals we've been doing for not more than 100 years, right? Yeah. So if there's another civilization that has evolved, chances are they've been evolving for thousands, if not millions of years more than us, which means they're so much more technologically advanced Hmm. that if they come here, they will be like gods to us. Okay. And so there's this general idea that even with I mean, an atheist would say, if there's intelligent life, if we interact with it, we're going to believe that they're gods because they're so much more technologically advanced than us. Huh. Interesting. So, so again, you know, if, you know, that kind of situation plays out, that has serious implications for belief. Sure. And asking those kind of questions.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Thanks for entertaining that yeah. kind of thought <laughs> yeah. exercise. I uh, yeah, sure. like that's that's help. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting thing, and that's yeah, even from a pop culture perspective, you mm-hmm. know, like that is a real thing that we yep. all the time, like science fiction and you know, extra all of that stuff is History Channel. It's, yeah, movies, it's, it's cu- yeah, it's part of our culture. Yeah, it's part of our culture, and I think to your point, like most people dismiss it as like as fantasy fiction, all mm-hmm. those things, but like you said, there's a genuine scientific effort to to actually discover that uh-huh. at some point, And there are lots of questions that come from that. So yeah, thanks for yeah. being willing to even chat about that. So sure. gosh, just mindful of, uh, of time. And so kind of want to uh-huh. maybe wind down our conversation or whatever. Um, why does any of this stuff matter?
2: <laughs> so like, no, it's, yeah. we've,
0: you know, we've spent two episodes talking about faith and science, the intersection and those things. And, uh, but at the end of the day, like why should this matter to anybody that, you know, showed up to Truth and Culture last year, yeah. or is listening to this right now. Like, why? Why does why is this stuff important? Why should we be thinking about all of this?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, one, it has to do with mission. Hmm. So, like engaging our culture. You know, we talked about the fact that there there are plenty of people um, that view that there's like a serious conflict between faith and God and what modern scientific consensus says. Hmm. Um, and. You know, I've interacted with people throughout my life where, you know, like one kid I I met met in high school, working at Pizza Hut. We had a conversation about belief in God and and kind of the, you know, whether we could trust the Bible. And his stance was basically, I believe in evolution, therefore I can't believe in God. Hmm. That belief in any part of the natural process of evolution automatically meant that he couldn't believe in God. And if Hmm. he accepted one... He couldn't accept the other, yeah. right? You know, okay. I don't yeah. know how much he'd actually looked into it or thought about this kind of stuff. Yeah, um, you know, to uh, a guy that I met in graduate school who was a PhD student in geology, and we were talking about you know the flood and the biblical account of the flood, and mm-hmm. he's like, "There is no geological evidence for a global flood." Yeah, now, I'm, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not a geologist. You know, I wasn't <laughs> studying <you> know, <laughs> right. studying physics, uh, but for him. Like, that was a particular area where he caused them to mistrust the reliability of Scripture. Okay. Um, or, you know, running to people I meet at the climbing gym, you know, hmm. in, in conversations about yeah. things. You know, it comes, it's come up several times that, like, you know, there's really no scientific evidence for God. Hmm. And so that—and whether they've looked into it a lot themselves or not, they perceive it as this barrier. Well— Science has kind of shown that you don't need God as an explanation, so we don't need to even look into that any further. Yeah, And so you can have a conversation. Well, like, there kind of is some scientific evidence for God, and you look at the fine-tuning of the universe or other things, and it, that might take away a barrier mm-hmm. that they feel, and, and might ask them to, like, maybe ask the next question. Well, is the Bible reliable? Or mm-hmm. So, like, it's an opportunity potentially to take barriers away from The potential belief in God, yeah, that makes sense, and leading people towards an understanding of who He is and a relationship with Him ultimately. That's great. So I think from like a mission standpoint, it's huge. Yeah, can be because people care a lot about what scientists say, sure, and they're curious to to know what Christianity says about it. And it's actually interesting that you know most people think Christians like hold one view. Like I ran into a guy the other day, friend of the climbing gym again. Yeah. And he had a conversation with a, a friend, a Christian friend of his. He's not a believer. And he just thought it was silly that his friend believed that humans and dinosaurs coexisted at the same time on the earth. Okay. He wanted to hear what I thought about it. Yeah. And his thought was, like, he just wanted to hear, like, why did I think they existed at the, you know at the mm-hmm. same time? And instead of engaging in that, I, I explained to him, like, different Christian views on origins yeah. a little bit. And he's like, that's totally not where I thought you were going to go from that. And he had a bunch <laughs> of different questions, <laughs> Yeah. right? And so like even helping people understand that there are faithful Christians that come to different conclusions. Yeah, um,
0: that's so good. I, yeah, well, I think back to talking last time about God's heart for contextualization and how he was willing to speak the language mm-hmm. and even become one of us in order to reveal himself to us and how cool that is and we get to, we get to do that as well as part of that mission is contextualize mm-hmm. things and for us like we've talked about this is th- these are the questions that our culture has and assumptions that culture has about what we believe and so we get to enter into mm-hmm. that in that particular way and I think we to your point we don't have to answer every question and say well this is how it is like dogmatically yep. and yep. you know whatever but we get to we get to share no, there's like a there's a, a, a breadth of discussion and conversation and we like, these are the things that are central mm-hmm. to us. It yeah. almost gives us an opportunity in talking about the diversity of thought and curiosity about all those things. Like, And,
1: what, and what's interesting, if, we, if we're if we not answering those specific questions, yeah. like you said, we can talk about what is important. Right. And so we can talk about what's central to the Christian faith and yeah. what's not on the peripheral.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it could actually be a, a bridge to talking about the things that bind us together mm-hmm. when we talk about... The diversity of things that maybe we don't agree on all the time, but are part of our tradition Mm -hmm. all the same. Yeah. Anything else in terms of like kind of why this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think it could
1: also be um, kind of a pastoral issue. You know, Mm -hmm. imagine you know if you had been brought up in a Christian home and and with the Christian worldview. Yeah. And you have been told your whole life that this is kind of how you interpret the Bible and this is what that means scientifically. Yeah. And let's say you go off to college, you you, you take a biology class in high school and you as a Christian become convinced that there's evidence scientifically that's pretty convincing mm-hmm. that that is a mm-hmm. disagreement what you think a Christian should believe. Mm-hmm. And so then you're kind of faced with the question, can I, can I be a Christian and believe in this? Mm. You know, whatever this is. Is it a old universe or an old earth? Is it evolution? Is it, you know, all the things, kind of the stuff that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And so actually having that same conversation with a Christian, well, actually you can still be faithful to try to interpret the scriptures and like fit in this camp or right. this camp or this camp. Yeah, And so it sense. can help um, maybe people deal with a crisis of faith Yeah, that they're having.
0: That's fair. And I, I think it, it also keeps us from, you know, thinking about it, of uh, like an in-house conversation mm-hmm. about this stuff. Yep. Prevents us from maybe having another Galileo mm-hmm. moment where we're forcing, <laughs> the church is forcing someone who, like, loves science and is yep. inquisitive about the truth from either having to recant on what he has observed uh, about the natural world or, yeah, and, and therefore, like, keep us standing in the church mm-hmm. or, like, like go with the the faculties that the Lord gave him <laughs> to observe those patterns that right. you know regular things that have shown up that that God himself created like we don't want to create those moments and and that kind of a culture within the church where we are pitting ourselves right. against each other and mm-hmm. saying like look dude either you're on this side or you're a heretic you yeah. know and so we, we end up creating diversity like not just diversity but like discord division. and division in yeah. the church you know if that's our perspective. And so for, for even just Christians to be mindful and be a little bit informed and educated on the various perspectives of how we can view you know, creation or origins or just faith and science in general mm-hmm. so that we can have a, a, an informed and charitable view of one another that while we might disagree on what it looks like to be faithful with the scriptures, that we would agree that we're all trying to be faithful to the scriptures and faithful ultimately to to the Lord or whatever. And so... Yeah. Yeah, I think it it that would be a that would be a much healthier environment uh, for the church to be in if we were able to have yeah. charitable conversations. You know, which I know happen, but mm-hmm. feels like they happen maybe less than they should. Cool. Well, anything else that you want to kind of leave us with or point to before we close out our time together?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just think like like you said, just recognizing that there's like many Christians who are trying to faithfully interpret Scripture. Yeah faithfully interpret scripture and the universe that we see around us through the process of science. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and just a reminder that, you know, like you said, the origins conversation is not a primary issue. Yeah. Right? It is a secondary issue uh, that we should approach humbly and charitably.
0: Well, you thanks for <laughs> taking the time to <laughs> no problem. talk. It's been a long night. Yeah, it it's it past your bedtime. <laughs> it's been fun. It's, it's, been, fun bedtime. it's been good. Um, no, but thanks so much for your work and labor on all this stuff and yeah, I just appreciate you being willing to intersect, you know, even your field of study with the faith. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a challenging one and a big one, but yeah, I appreciate you investing your time, uh, and helping us learn as a church together. And, you know, whoever's listening to this, hopefully it was beneficial for them as well. So thank
1: you for inviting me into this conversation. It's been a growing experience for me, just kind of engaging with this stuff and just, uh, trying to think about what's helpful. Yeah. To communicate so cool well yeah
0: you. hopefully this has been helpful and uh like i said we will um have some resources uh in the show notes that you guys can take a look at uh some links to some other things that might be helpful if you're curious about learning more about any of these things um that kind of aaron has curated for us and so yeah uh thanks so much for listening hopefully this was a helpful kind of little mini series for you guys to take a look at this stuff and if you have questions feel free to reach out i know i'm sure aaron would love to chat with you uh if you Absolutely. have questions about those things and yeah so thanks guys for listening uh hopefully this was helpful and we'll
2: see you next time